reading from Deuteronomy 16, verses 13 through 16. You are to keep the festival of Sukkot for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and wine press. Rejoice at your festival, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female slaves, the Leviim, and the foreigners, orphans, and widows living among you. Seven days you are to keep the festival for Adonai your God in the place Adonai your God will choose because Adonai your God will bless you in all your crops and in all your work so you are to be full of joy. Three times a year all your men are to appear in the presence of Adonai your God in the place which he will choose at the festival of Matzah, at the festival of Shavuot, and at the festival of Sukkot. They are not to show up before Adonai empty-handed. Thanks, Linda. You're welcome. I know we have some visitors today, and we have some people who aren't visiting or part of us. Um, so some people, were, I know, are asking a few questions. And just for the sake of if there's one or two, I'm going to go over some things that may be review. But I want to talk a little bit about this, uh, this holiday today, because that's what everything is centered on. Uh, afterwards, after our service, we're going to have a, uh, you know, some food upstairs, and we're going to do some things in the sukkah out there, and you can peruse and hang out and do things. So I think it's good to kind of prepare ourselves for that. Otherwise, it's just going to be a luncheon. You know what I mean? And we don't want that to be the case. So uh, sukkot is uh, the word for tabernacles or shelters. It's a plural word from the word sukkah, uh, which uh, is where we get this, this word that means a temporary dwelling or a booth. In Scripture, sometimes that it's the word that's used when it's describing like a... Um, not a hunting blind necessarily, if you're a, a hunter, but like something that you'd have out in the farm or in, in the fields that a farmer could take temporary or, or workers could take temporary shelter in. And, uh, and this is where the children of Israel or the type of, of building, if you will, that the children of Israel lived in during their time in the wilderness. This is the last of the, uh, the Moadei Adonai, the appointed times of the Lord. We're entering the end, end of that cycle. Uh, Simchat Torah next week is not, not one of those biblical holy days, but this is, this is the last one, the last one on the biblical calendar. And this is a seven-day festival. And again, we typically think about the sukkah. That seems to see what, what takes the spotlight and, and center stage. And the idea that when we're when we're observing this, this day that we're remembering the, the wilderness wanderings and the preservation of Israel, like, like Floyd mentioned uh, during his prayer there for the children. Um, and as Michael, though, mentioned earlier, really this is biblically, biblically referred to as the feast of, or the festival of ingathering. Um, it is a time, you know, the time at the end of the harvest. We had first fruits, but now this is, we've taken all the, Israel's taken all the, the crops in and they're thanking God for, for the harvest. And so these ideas, this idea of, of um, you know, wilderness wandering and maybe harvest is a bit foreign to us uh, or a bit removed or specifically we don't think it's applicable. You know, you might say, well, I'm a ca- I go camping. Well, no, this is, this is not camping. We're not talking about camping. We're talking about being like homeless, you know, lost, nowhere to go, wandering kind of thing and needing a place to stay. Um, you might say, well, I, I do some farming and, and so forth, or I have a garden, so I can be thankful for the harvest. Well, no, again, this is not, this is not you know, uh, thank goodness my cucumber's super big so I can win the Douglas County, you know, uh, <laughs> super big cucumber contest this year. Thank you, Lord. It's not like that. This is a, you know, if you, the harvest hadn't come in, we'd be dead. We'd be starving. 
So again, a little bit removed from us, the, the, the core ideas um, of, of Sukkot. Um, however, I think when we look a little bit closer at some of the details surrounding uh, this, this festival, um, I think we'll find that it's really not as unrelatable to us as you might, have, might think. Um, some scriptural background, you've heard a lot of scripture today, but just for your edification, and this is, you know, not, this is kind of a Bible study portion of the, of the message here, just to let you know where you can read about Sukkot, or this Feast of Ingathering. First place we see it is in, is in the book of Exodus, um, in Exodus 23, talking about you'll, you'll observe the, the Feast of Ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in all of the, the fruit from, uh, gather from your fruit of your labor from the field. Then again, even in, even in what the, the, the portion that Rabbi Chaim uh, talked about today in Exodus chapter 34, also talks about th- this in conjunction with the Feast of First Fruits and so forth, one of the three, the three festivals, so the ingathering. The biggest mention, uh, two of the bigger mentions of, of Sukkot or the Feast of Ingathering uh, from the Torah, these are all from the Torah, is Leviticus 23, which again is the section to go to to learn about any of the appointed times of God. So Leviticus 23 talks about on the first day uh, or the 15th day of the seventh month, you're going to gather in the produce of the land. On the first day of, of that time, you take the majestic majestic leaves. What is your translations are going to say something different, but it, it talks about the four species. So when we're upstairs later, we're gonna, you're going to see a, a leafy bow, a B-O-U-G-H, uh, and that's the four species that are, that are to be taken that it's talking about here. And also it says you are to rejoice then before the Lord for seven days. It says you shall live in booths. This is all from Leviticus 23. You shall live in booths and sukkahs, sukkot, for seven days. All that are citizens in Israel shall live in booths, so that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. And again, I think that's kind of where we stop. We say, okay, this reminds us of that time. I'll get into that a little bit further. Deuteronomy 16, which was read today as well, um, talks about this idea of rejoicing. This is what was just read. So the idea, it says that once you do this, you shall rejoice during your festival. And as Linda said at the end there, it says you shall surely rejoice. You shall surely celebrate. So that's, that, that's some of the, the biblical background. Um, again, so however that may seem like, well, that's kind of foreign. This is some foreign ideas. But this is, uh, this is not just a remembrance of the past. Something that, okay, this happened in the past, let, let's remember it. Chaim mentioned also, Zechariah 14. If you're from, not familiar with Zechariah 14, actually, if you back up and look at Zechariah 12 and 13, there's, there's uh, references to the other days, such as Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, the trumpet will sound, and the Day of Atonement, and so forth, is in there. And then in Zechariah 14, uh, chapter, uh, starting in chapter 1, verse, verses 1 through 16 in context, says that a day is coming, the day of the Lord will come, when he will come and his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. This is when all nations are, are coming up against Jerusalem on the day of battle. And he says that the Mount of Olives will, will be split from east to west by a very wide valley. It says, Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Then all who survive of this battle, all who survive of the nations that have come against Jerusalem, shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the festival of booths. It's an interesting reference here. And again, I think we just gloss right over it. We know about the return of Messiah. We, we can argue all these different things. But it says here that we will celebrate the festival of booths then. So we're practicing now, right? Um, but not only that, Zechariah 14 goes on to say that there will come a punishing plague on those nations that do not keep the festival of Sukkot. 
So I think it's important for us to consider this festival of Sukkot is not something just this thing in the past. And yes, in the wilderness, um, and what we do on Sukkot is we, we build the sukkah, we sit in it, we shake the four species, we scratch and sniff the etrog, the little lemon, you know, you're going to scratch and sniff that thing. Um, we invite friends, we eat, we relax, we chill out, you know, some places they smoke cigars, drink beers, that kind of stuff. Um, but if that's all we think about in terms of Sukkot, I think we miss some of the, the larger context. And that it's not just something that's, uh, you know, that's sort of a, 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 an ancient relic or something that we don't know about in the future. So I was thinking, you know, in college, uh, one time, I slept on the beach. I slept on the beach. Um, this was in Ocean City, Maryland. So, uh, and if, if a buddy of mine were to say, hey, remember that time we were in Ocean City and we slept on the beach? Uh, you know, I wouldn't just remember, yeah, I remember sleeping on the beach. I, I'd remember all of the things surrounding that fateful weekend. I'd remember all the things. Why did I sleep on the beach? You know, the, the car ride up there with four or five of us in the little Volkswagen bug that he had and being out in the middle of nowhere on Route 50 between, you know, Maryland and D- if you've ever been to Ocean City and, 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 you know, not being able to find any restrooms. And finally, we found one restroom almost too late, you know, for some of us. And, and then how we got to Ocean City and the, the hotel we thought we had, it fell through. And then we tried to get another one, but it was too expensive. So slept on the beach. And then I remember it was freezing on the beach. And my buddy had fortunately had a sweatshirt in his car, but I remember he had been fishing the week before and just in that sweatshirt, he threw the sweatshirt in the car and it stunk so bad. But I was thankful for the, for, to have the sweatshirt, you know. And so my point is, is that when you remember an event, okay, like sleeping on the beach or living in booths in the wilderness for 40 years, you remember, and you, you remember all the circumstances surrounding it, the lead-up, the during, the, the little things that happened in between. You think of all of those things. And so that's kind of what's been on, on my mind uh, this week with regard to Sukkot, this, this wilderness wanderings, living in the temporary dwellings and so forth. It are all of the things that I think when you read in context all of the, the different mentions of Sukkot and all the different, not just Sukkot, but what happened in the, in, in the desert, what happened during those 40 years. When you read all of those, those things surrounding it, um, those are things that I think we should have in our mind when we're sitting in the sukkah, when we're having our, our food upstairs. It's not just a matter of, yeah, this is what they sat in when they were, when they were in the wilderness as, as we smoke our cigar, you know, or whatever. We're not going to smoke cigars, just so you know. I've mentioned that twice, you're probably wondering. But no, we're not, we're not going to do that. So some things that I see as, as the themes of or the events surrounding Sukkot, here are some thematic statements for you that I'll probably mention a few times. That our lives <clears throat> are filled with fear, our lives are filled with doubt, our lives are filled with uh, often the abandonment of God and our faith. But what Sukkot reminds us of is that all the while, all that time, while we're fearing, while we're doubting, while we're abandoning, that God provides, that God protects, and God teaches. However order you want, whatever order you want to say that, and he protects, he teaches, and he provides. So we fear, we doubt, we abandon, he protects, he teaches, and he provides. You know, as children, uh, children of God, followers of Yeshua, followers of God, I think, um, you know, fear, doubt, and abandonment of God are things which are inevitable. Not desirable, not acceptable, as far as our primary way of, of walking with God, but they are inevitable. But nevertheless, we all, uh, we either have or likely will have at some point, we will experience fear, doubt, and we will experience, then we, we will therefore, because of our fear and doubt, 
we will abandon our faith in God. So let's take a look at some of these themes and how they played out in terms of the, the wilderness wanderings in those days and those weeks, those months and those years uh, following the exodus from Egypt. Starts off in Numbers chapter 33, gives a little uh, summary of, of how things went. Numbers chapter 33 begins this way. It says, These are the stages by which the Israelites went out of the land of Egypt in military formation under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Moses wrote down their starting points, stage by stage, by command of the Lord. And these are their stages according to their starting places. They set out from Ramesses in the first month, on the 15th day of the first month. On the day after the Passover, the Israelites went out boldly in the sight of all the Egyptians. Uh, your translation may some, say something different than boldly. If you look at it later, Numbers 33 uh, might say defiantly. It's interesting there, though, the, word, the, the phrase that's used uh, is the phrase that means a lifted hand. We've talked about that word, Yad Ramah. You may have heard that before, Yad Ramah. In, in fact, it's in, in a negative sense where someone uh, responded to God with a Yad Ramah, a defiant position, defiant pose, and God, you know, took care of, took, took him out. Actually, the congregation told the congregation of Israel to stone him. But this same word, the same phrase is being used here. So this is the manner in which the, the Israelites went out in that, with that Yad Ramah in terms of, not to God, but to, to the Egyptians. In other words, they were, very, they were very confident. You know, that was their mindset as they left. They were very confident, and it was clear. Everyone could see the way they, the way they were. They had just experienced a string of, of I don't want to say good luck, They've ex they experienced a, a string of pretty amazing, I mean, the most amazing uh, miracles, we could, some of the most amazing miracles we can see in the Bible, the ten plagues. Things had gotten started off a little rough, if you know the story, um, where you know, Moses says, we're going we're to go, please let my people go, and Pharaoh says, no, in fact, you're not going to get any straw anymore, and you're going to have to make your own bricks, I mean, find your own straw for the bricks, and you still have to make the same amount of bricks. Um, so things were a little rough, but after that, I mean, they experienced a string of like amazing stuff. All these plagues came on the Egyptians. None of them came on them. Um, and so they were, they were certainly riding high at this point as they left, feeling very much like God cared about them and that he was actually working on their behalf. Can you relate to that at all? Are there moments in your life when things are looking good? I hope so. I imagine everyone's got something they can think about. You know, when, when maybe work is going really well, uh, everyone at home is healthy, you're healthy perhaps, cars running well, uh, maybe think back to the time when you were in love. If, you're, if, you're, if you were married, are married, were married, think back to that, that time before the wedding, you know, how things were, you know? Before proposing to your spouse or being, before being proposed to, think about that, you know? There are any number of things and times, I think, that we can all remember when things were very smooth sailing, you know, things were going really well. And we think, you know what, yeah, this was... This was the right decision to make. You know, I got a great deal in that car. I'm, I'm loving this new exercise program or this new diet's keeping me healthy. That was the right person to marry. That, I, that was the right thing, you know. Um, that's when, when things were going well. But then what happens? What happens typically? Your company is sold. All of a sudden, you got a new boss, right? Car makes a really weird noise. It's starting to smoke, right? You figure out, you know, my spouse is not much for using the laundry basket. Doesn't like to wipe up spills or empty the dishwasher. What's the problem with him, you know? You start thinking about all that kind of stuff, right? 
In the case of the nation of Israel, um, they found themselves facing a sea in front of them and an enemy behind them that wanted to either take them back into slavery or just do away with them right there, right? And at that moment, their boldness, their confidence, their thought of smooth sailing, their Yad Ramah um, took the I told you so or I knew it mentality, you know? And they say in the text there, you know, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here so we could die here, you know? Jews have always been funny, haven't they? They're always kind of funny, funny people. I mean, that's in the Bible. I think that's pretty great. There's not enough graves out here in Egypt? That's great. That's in the text. But we do the same thing, don't we? You know? I should have listened to my mother. She said I shouldn't marry him. I should have listened, you know? I should never have taken that job. I shouldn't have switched jobs. We should never have left that. We should have moved from that neighborhood to this neighborhood, whatever it is, you know? So I think we can relate to the times of the exodus from, from Egypt and the wilderness wanderings. Even if we think maybe this is a, an agricultural festival or we're not homeless or whatever, I think when you look again at the events surrounding uh, the exodus and so forth, I think we can, in fact, uh, relate very much to this. And again, relate to the idea that while we may fear, doubt, and abandon, that God protects and he teaches and he provides. Because what happens next? God, God parts the Red Sea. Israel passes through. The Egyptians are drowned. And even during that moment where he's protecting, he ends up teaching. He says, look, I want this, I'm doing this so that you'll know and so that the Egyptians will know uh, who I am, who really is God, and to encourage Israel to then follow his ways, right? So once again, Israel's back on top of the mountain. And, and after Israel experiences this miracle, just as, as when we sort of experience great things and things are smooth sailing, we say exactly what, what Israel did there in the book of Exodus. And what they say? They said, You know, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Glorious in his holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. That's part of the song of Moses. I mean, that's, I think we can relate to that. Things were wonderful, right? But again, what happens next? What, ne- what happened next to Israel? What happens next to us, to you, to me? Doubt and fear creep in. Not very long after that, I'm thirsty. We're hungry, right? We need to take matters into our own hands, as Chaim said. We need to build this golden calf because we need a God we can see, a God that we can therefore worship better, right? And again, we do the same thing. We complain, we doubt, and we abandon God or his plans for our own plans. We abandon his, you know, what kind of seemed like it was working. We, we adopt what we feel more comfortable with. We analyze things, as, as Rabbi Chaim often says, we, we rewind, rewind the tapes, reviewing them over and over, ad nauseum, trying to figure things out, trying to better plan, trying to utilize um, our power or the power of the so-called experts a little better. We try to better our situation, insulate ourselves, protect us from certain things not happening again. Whatever it is, um, we're just trying to avoid things by changing up the strategy, right? A life of faith, though, I want to tell you, a life of faith is not a life absent of fear or doubt that is brought on by life. That's not the life of faith. I think we often think, well, it's got to be something that doesn't include fear or doubt. No, it does. A life of faith uh, has to do with what comes out of us when we experience fear and doubt that is brought on by life, the life circumstances, you know. And we all have the opportunity to, to sow things into our life that will actually come out during those times, right? The things 
we sow can be things of faith. They can be the words of Scripture, right? Um, they can be what we receive in prayer. Or they can be um, the things we get from like in-depth opinion polls from our friends. Uh, put it out there on Facebook, perhaps. And what do you all think? Comment. Talk amongst yourselves, if you know Mike Myers' character. Anyways. Uh, discuss. You know, um, we can look at the, the, the TV news. We can talk politics, like Rabbi Chaim was speaking about. We can look at the so-called experts. We can fill ourselves with the, the, the newest, latest movie, sitcom, whatever. Whatever it is, the things that are most dominant uh, as far as our personal intake of information, that's what's going to come out of us when the inevitability of fear and doubt that come about from life happens, when they present themselves, it presents itself in our lives. So, in the face of fear and doubt, God's desire is to protect, to teach, and to provide for us, to provide for us. In the wilderness, you see this in several ways. I think the most consistent way, you think about what they provided for, we talked about the shoes, the clothes, that's things they came out with, right? But they provided by, uh, we know manna, right? The manna that they ate, and water. That was a, that was a big one. God consistently providing those, those things, those water and, and manna. And again, these are, these are sort of the, the, the things surrounding all of the events of the Exodus I want us to consider. And so for us, I mean, these are, these are things we can relate to, right? Because all of us have access to uh, what I would say are water and manna, right? Those are just the, the basic things, basic needs. We all have them in some level, you know, some differing level of, of needs that, are, that we, we have met, our, our own manna and our own water. Um, and we spend our, our whole lives basically trying to put those things in place, don't we? Taking care of our basic, our basic needs. And so we do that. Some, and again, we do it to differing levels. We take care of the basics, and then we want to kind of improve on those basics, a little bit nicer manna, and a little bit nicer water, or whatever it is. And then we try to you know, store some for later and protect ourselves and insulate ourselves so that we have a little more you know, margin. Uh, and maybe some of us just happen to be blessed. We have maybe more family support, that we have family around that can, that can help us uh, emotionally or physically or uh, maybe even financially. Uh, some of us might, be, you know, might have savings accounts, inheritances, whatever it is, just the different things we put in place to take care of our, of our basic needs. But the truth is that regardless of, of how well we think we're doing in terms of, of water and manna, um, we need to realize at the core of things, in reality, each and every one of us lives with that same day-to-day dependence on God that the, the, the people of Israel did during that time in the wilderness. Each one of them. You know, just our ability to sleep through the night, our ability to wake up in the morning, our ability to take in oxygen, expel carbon you know, monoxide. I'm sure you all are thinking about that as you're breathing right now and and you know how the blood is, is pumping through your body, this blood that somehow has a life-animating property to it. You know, without it, we would you know, think about that. The blood drained from your body, that that's it, no more life. I mean, all of these things. Um, the fact is that you know, we're on a ball of mud that's just this far from the sun, that's tilted just a certain way and so forth, that we don't get burned up. All of these very, very minute things. So regardless of, of how, uh, how well we've taking care of our basic needs and our manna and our water, each one of us uh, has a daily reliance on God for all of these things. So if you haven't stopped to take a conscience or conscious, I'm sorry, inventory of, of all the things that God has already provided you with in your life, 
Um, I think that Sukkot, this, this festival of Sukkot and the, the idea of the wilderness wanderings and the things surrounding them can be a good time to stop uh, in your life and to take note, take note of some of those things. In addition to the, to, the, to the wilderness wanderings being a picture of great physical provision for a very large group of people, um, this is also the place in Scripture where God pr- uh, provides teaching in the form of the Ten, the ten Words, the ten, ten Commandments, all the other laws on, on how to live. So it's not a matter that God just protected them from enemies and got them through the Red Sea and, and did these type of things, provided them with food and, and the shelters and, and, all, and, and the, the shoes that didn't wear out and everything but that he also taught them during this time, specifically with these Ten Commandments. He said, look, I'm bringing you to this place. Uh, this is a place that they were afraid to go, a place where uh, you know, people were bigger. They said, we don't have any right to be here. But God is saying, look, I want you guys to live successfully when you enter there. But again, do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like even in life in general that everyone else must have it figured out, everybody else um, seems to have a, a golden touch you know, on, on things. But as for you, you're just hanging on by a thread. And the last thing you're thinking about is, you know, I'm going to enter this land and, and conquer it. I'm going to conquer this territory. You ever, ever wonder about that? You know, I'm barely, barely hanging on here. Um, and God's teaching me, yes, do, when you go into this land and all these wonderful things happen to you and you're living on top of the world and I kick out everybody and, and you're going to have hills and valleys and type of agriculture you've never seen before. Uh, when all this happens, I want you to do this and I want you to make sure if you see your buddy's ox under a burden that you don't walk away. I mean, my mind would be off in the, how am I, well, yeah, right, I'm just trying to figure out, is this water going to be here tomorrow? You know, is this, <laughs> this kind of thing. Well, to this attitude, to this thought, to this concern, to this worry of we don't belong here, the people are big, and maybe you had, maybe you looked at the wrong piece of land, whatever. Um, here's what God says. This is Deuteronomy chapter 1, starting in verse 29. He says, don't be fearful. Don't be afraid. The Lord your God who goes before you is the one who will fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, just as one carries a child, all the way that you traveled until you reached this place. Again, we're talking about a time, the time in the wilderness, which I think, though you can see the picture here, is not necessarily back then, but it's the the same picture for each one of us now. A time of uncertainty, a time of, of recurring fear and doubt, a time of Life, basically. And what does God do? What does God do for you in these kind of times? I think just does the same thing he did for Israel. And that is he carries you just like a child. Just, like, just, as, just, just as one carries a child. Interesting thing I was thinking about when, when it comes to carrying a child, you know, there's uh, several things came to mind. Um, you know, why do you carry a child? If you've had one, you, you may know or you may not know, but... Sometimes it's not just because I'm too tired to walk or want to get there quicker or you're asleep. I mean, sometimes they just want to be carried, you know, and, and they, they feel maybe they feel more safe. They feel comfortable that way. But think about just as one carries a child. When you go to pick up a child, a child actually, it's got to be sort of a two-way street, doesn't it? You ever try to pick up a floppy child? <laughs> I mean, that's why protesters, you know, they do that thing and they fall on the ground because it's hard to pick up a floppy person. But carrying a child involves, you know, they, they get a little stiff, and you go down, you pick them up, and, and, uh, and what do they do when you pick them up, you know? 
They often they wrap their legs around your waist and then they put their arm around your shoulder. It's real cute, right? It's a little bit of a, of a, a symbiotic relationship there, you know? Um, it's a two-way street. It's a great feeling for the child to be carried. It's a great feeling for you if you ever carried a little child. It's a great thing. Um, now, as, as a human parent, I can tell you this. It can be annoying. <laughs> You're walking along and they're clawing at your legs. You know, pick me up, pick me up. You're like, I, just, I, you know, I, I can't carry you or I can't carry all three of you or you know, that kind of thing. It can be a little bit annoying. Please carry me, carry me, carry me. And then you carry him, and then you, know, you get tired, and you've you got to put him down. Like, I, I just can't carry you anymore. I'm sorry. I just can't. Yeah, I'm tired. It's hot. You ever been like, hot? They want to carry you when it's hot out? But here's the thing. God's not like that. Okay? He wants people to jump up there. He wants you to jump up there and be carried. And unlike a human compar- parent, his capacity is, is endless. He doesn't get tired. It doesn't bother him. Uh, he wants to provide and protect for his children like any father does. So wherever you are today, you're getting ready to enter something. I don't know what it is. It, it might, you know, it might just be the next minute, <laughs> in the next hour from now, the next week, the remainder of the year, the, the, the holiday season, whatever it is, just the next day. But whatever, whatever you're facing, remember that on this Sukkot, how God has carried you and that God does provide for you. And that while we may fear and we may doubt and we may abandon, that God protects and God teaches us and God provides. And it, as was mentioned uh, earlier, I believe, uh, but if it hasn't, it's, it's got to be mentioned on Sukkot, because among other things, God has provided the most important thing for each one of us, and that's himself. And one of the most vivid parallels of, of living in temporary dwellings, you know, we talk about living in temporary dwellings on Sukkot. This is a temporary dwellings. One of the most vivid parallels uh, is understanding that God himself came. God himself came in human form many times throughout Scripture. Certainly the most uh, tremendous and the most important one uh, being dwelling bodily as Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth. Right? He came and he dwelt for the same reasons as I previously mentioned. Uh, to remove doubt, to remove fear, and to provide for us and to teach us about himself and about his plan for successful living, specifically eternal living. And if you haven't accepted that most important provision, that most important provision of all, make that your first priority on this this Sukkot. And if you have, I think a lot of us in here have accepted Yeshua as Messiah, then take some time now as we prepare to, to end our service to just to thank him once again for that provision. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this festival of Sukkot, a time of remembrance that you've given us to reflect on your protection, to reflect on your teaching, to reflect on your provision. And I pray, Lord, that as each person here today reflects on these things, that you would reveal yourself to them and how, just exactly how, you have manifested yourself to them in all of these areas, in the area of protection, in the area of teaching and in the area of provision and may each person here today lord know that when they have doubts and when they have fears and when life comes at them in such a way that they're just tempted to abandon their faith their faith in you that they would remember that you are there to carry them and that you lord are their protector their teacher and their provider
We thank you, Lord, that not only do you do these things, but you have provided yourself, Yeshua, as a way for us to have eternal fellowship with you. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here today that does not know you personally through your son, Yeshua, that this day would be their day to come to faith. In Yeshua's name I pray this. Amen.